Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. We're here for episode two of season five, coming at you from, I believe, our apartments, it looks like. We're still doing things remotely, uh, as is the world right now. Um, live over Zoom, I am joined by my ever-wonderful co-host, Michael Livingston. How you doing? <laughs> Did you forget that you were the co-host for a second? Yes. I I forget that like we, you introduced me and then I have to say my name. Um, It's early in the morning. As you can see, I got my big ass glass of orange juice. Oh God. Soundcheck AM episode. Yeah. I think I said right before we came on air. So I think it's the first time I've ever recorded soundcheck in the morning. So Mm -hmm. this, this could be, I don't think any of us are morning people, so this 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 could be an interesting experiment. Um, uh, we also have uh, taking a backseat this episode, but always still always uh, happy to have him on. Uh, our wonderful podcast editor he has to unmute himself first. I want to let him make sure he introduces himself. I'm gonna just keep like a noise here before he can. Ben Ackley. <laughs> so. Now he's going to mute himself and you'll never hear from him again for another week. Oh, oh, oh no. I would love to, I, I would love to have him on because uh, because of the band we're talking about today. But we'll get to that in a second. Um, something I think we forgot to do in our last, uh, uh, our last episode, uh, which, by the way, was, if you haven't checked it out, please do. It was about music we discovered over quarantine. It was a fantastic episode. I had a lot of fun doing that, as did, I think. The other two can also relate to as well. Um, we have a Twitter account. It is at SCheckOfficial. We haven't really posted there in a while because yeah. I've been dormant for a bit, but uh, we, we should be uh, hopefully getting back into posting on that shortly. Um, yes, for sure. You can also follow... I, or is, was yeah, that I, had, I had an idea. We should start posting the, um, the playlist we make for each episode, like all the we songs should. we have. Uh, yeah, because... Yeah, Ben always makes a nifty little playlist that we can run through. I think that would be a yeah. We should we should just, we should start doing that. It's a great idea. So expect content like that to our wonderful listeners. Uh, you can also follow our personal Twitter accounts if you so wish. Mine is at Andrew Mullen Four, and mine is Michael C Live. All right. So uh, enough of the silted intro. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. One Ooh. that I'm. At least I'm very excited for because and I feel like I say this a lot on the show whenever we do artist deep dives, but we are talking about I consider one of, one of my more cherished bands, one of my more favorite bands in existence. Uh, and as you could probably tell from not only the title of this episode, but from the shitty knockoff of red bubble t-shirt I'm wearing today. <laughs> yeah. um, we're talking about the silver sun pickups. Uh, most notably, uh, coming from the alternative rock scene in the mid-2000s, but I've been uh, slowly marching forward ever since even uh, releasing an album last year. Uh, I was, of course, very familiar with this band coming in here, um, having listened to this band since high school, pretty pretty strongly since high school. Um, Michael, I think you had more of a... uh, You did not know them as much, so actually I kind of want to... Before we kind of dive into anything, I kind of wanted to know what your relationship with the pickups were before listening to this episode. What your overall impressions were? 
I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not an interesting story of how I got into them because I heard them in high school like you did. But, you know, I kind of came across the hits. Um, I listened to them. I thought they were great. And I think I was just discovering so much music in high school at the time that I it was just like, okay, here's the hits. Now I'm moving on to the next band. Um, And I never gave them a second thought, which was definitely a crime um, since I researched this episode, because this is a an indie rock band that you definitely don't want to pass up. Um, and you know, you're going to hear their influences all throughout of bands that I have praised so much on this show, <laughs> most prevalent, uh, probably being the smashing pumpkins. Um, yeah. So if you want to, um, you know, if you're into that kind of music, the, um, the, uh, loud dra- guitar driven, um, you know, alt rock that was kind of, um, you know, crafted by those bands in the nineties, but then expanded upon by this generation. Um, that's kind of what we're going to be looking into. And, and of course, going album by album to kind of dissect that concept. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm happy you brought that up and we'll definitely be talking a lot more, more about that specifically, I think when you get to their album Carnivus, but yeah, I think this is definitely a band to me that kind of takes some of the old sounds of, you know, nineties alternative or, showgaze as i like to say shoegaze whatever you're gonna call it uh, <laughs> you can definitely hear a lot of those sounds a lot of those sounds influenced in their music and i think they just have just a really interesting blend and taking that those older sounds and kind of bringing them to the modern age and kind of like you said reinventing reinventing them a bit expanding on them um as for why i personally love this band so much as if anyone cares but <laughs> The reason I think I uh, oh well, we well thank you Michael, I appreciate that. Um, the reason why I got into this band so much, and it kind of dawned on me shortly after um, we decided we were going to do this uh, episode, this record uh, this episode was they're like one of my go-to comfort bands, which is a bit of a weird thing to say because they have a lot of, like Michael just said, a lot of loud, distorted guitars through at least a good chunk of their catalog. And, you know, it might not be a band you might, you know, at first glance thing like, wow, how does this, how do you console with this band? And it's like, well, I think it has a lot to do with uh, lead singer Brian uh, Albert's uh, voice and, you know, the lyrics that they bring as well. And, you know, a lot of the melodies they bring as well. There's, so much um, just vulnerability, I think, in their sound and what they present. And, you know, you know, as I, I kind of go through life, you know, I kind of go through ups and downs, like they're a band I can always go to and I know I'm sad. So you see, I'm, not, I'm one of those weird people who doesn't like, if I'm sad, I don't want to listen to happy music. If I'm sad, I want to listen to sad music, something I can relate to, you know, and this is a band I can always go to for that. So, uh, I think that's why personally they kind of mean a lot to me. Not, not just apart from the fact, I think, again, they just bring a lot to the table. And, uh, and I would kind of argue a little, little underrated, if you ask me. And that's actually a question I wanted to ask you, Michael, before we kind of start diving into the discography, is that they're not a one-hit wonder band. If you I mean just look at the chart success, they're not. But... They're primarily known for one song, I feel like, that being Lazy Eye. That's the big song from the, the 2000s. Do you think that they kind of have this misconception of being a one-hit wonder band, Michael? Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, just from you know, a, a person that peruses the indie music scene, um, you can come across this band and see 
the amount of streams that Lazy Eye has on Spotify versus the other song and Im- immediately make that assumption. Um, but of course, that is um, that is not the case, and that's what we tend to prove on this on these on this uh, podcast is that uh, bands aren't always what they seem. And you know, I, something uh, I started doing before we record episodes is actually read reviews of um, certain albums of the bands we talk about, and some of the later ones, especially, are, are criminally underrated. Um, I think uh, we'll discuss that later on. But yeah, um, I can definitely see where you're coming from, Andrew. We're um, definitely not a one-hit wonder, <laughs> and we'll talk about that. Excellent. Well, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So, uh, yeah. So let's let's kind of let's kind of just dive right into it. Um, so the band. Uh, I will actually read the lineup. Normally, I don't read lineups before um, before we start running things because typically, if you look at any band's like member timeline on Wikipedia per se, you tend to notice a lot of uh, changes. To me, it's not really like mention the key members. Not really much to that. But actually, this band really hasn't gone through too many lineup changes. In fact, they've had the same lineup throughout all the releases, um, which would be, where is it? Brian Albert on vocals and guitars. Uh, he's going to be your key member there. Uh, Nikki Moniker on bass and backing vocals. Chris Guano on drums. And Joe Lester on keyboards. He also helps with sampling and sound manipulation and whatnot. Something you will probably he- you will hear throughout their releases. Um, you know, and again, typically when you watch interviews, it's always going to be Brian and Nikki, the ones on there, you can say that the quote unquote, the key members of the band. Uh, they formed in 2000. There were a couple members in 2002 before then. Uh, they kind of started as a project between um, Brian and uh, Nikki when they had, they had like significant others in the band before as well. Uh, in fact, there was a rumor going around that used to be called A Couple of Couples, kind of a play on uh, Fleetwood Mac, if I remember correctly. And uh, I think they've gone to say that that isn't true or to say people kind of overblown that. I've heard conflicting information, but it sounds like they're always kind of known as Silverstone Pickups. And the name came from actually uh, from a music scene in a, in, a, in a neighborhood in L.A., particularly around a certain bar called the Silver Lake Lounge. Granted, I usually come from front. I didn't really know anything about this when I was doing my research. I had to kind of look it in. It turns out, yeah, this lounge kind of became a hotbed for alternative music in the early to mid 2000s. Uh, some notable bands that came through there, obviously, the Silver Sun Pickups, the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, Elliot Smith, Cold War Kids, Ty Siegel. Uh, those are just, you know, Black Lips, you know, like, I don't know if all those bands per, per se kind of like came from that scene, but they certainly were performing at that lounge, you know, during that time. Um, in fact, they even got their name from, a, I think uh, there was a liquor store from across the street from the lounge, and that's kind of where they got the names, because they would go pick up liquor after, after shows and whatnot. Um, I don't know, were, were you familiar with the scene at all, Michael, before we move forward? Well, of course I know all of the artists that you mentioned there, but the fact that they kind of all uh, communed under this venue, um, that's pretty interesting to me, because um, before then, the, I couldn't begin to guess how these artists were related. So that's really cool. That's a cool piece of information. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like there really wasn't a much of a sound. There's no like Silver Lake sound per se coming from here. Like you said, a lot of these bands are pretty different from each other. So I don't know if you could really say that there's a Silver Lake sound, but uh, for certainly the Silver Sun pickups are probably the most notable band to actually come from that scene. You know, at least probably one of the most successful. Um, 
And, you know, and all that, you know, so they were kind of jamming for a while. They're playing some shows, they're playing live for a while before they actually settled on recording stuff. And they didn't really start off with an album. They started off with an EP, commonly referred to as Pickle, even though I learned from researching this, Zach Sprout's Pickle. Sure, why not? <laughs> well, be aware that I am going to mispronounce that a couple times. <laughs> yes. I mean, pick, pick, I think Pickle's just a funnier name anyway. So. Me too. <laughs> Although I don't think it's as funny because I believe they named it after like a friend who had recently passed away. So I guess it's not as funny. Uh, all right. Well, that was depressing. Let's just move swiftly on. Uh, yeah. So 2005's uh, Pickles, their first EP, their first uh, studio release. Um, I'm going to start with you, Michael, because when, when we were kind of initially talking, chatting about this earlier this week about the band through your listening through the initial part of the discography, you, you seemed really high on this, on this EP. I kind of would like you to explain to me what, what your thoughts were on it. I, I could not imagine an EP with a, a stronger, um, set of songs to come out. I think, uh, you know, kissing families is just as memorable as lazy eye um it captures so much energy in the build-up um comeback kid which you'll hear later on um has memorable riffs great tunes the bass lines are set up fantastically um there's just a lot to love on this little ep and uh so much personality um coming across here i mean they're they're putting everything that they want you um to like about the band just right on the table um and i really appreciate that and of course, the sound is going to evolve in the next two albums. And, you know, I, I've come around, uh, Pykel, I guess, is, is not my favorite, but it's, um, it's like the, the one I'm going to cherish, you know? It's the one I'm always going to come back to, I think, when I listen back on this band after this episode. Um, just tons of personality. Um, that's why it immediately grabbed my attention. Yeah, you know... Um... It, it, it took me a while to kind of go back and like revisit this one yeah, after going through their uh, initial discography. But I, 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 I'm in agreement with a lot of what you said, Michael. I, I, I think this is a really strong intro to this band. Um, not necessarily indicative of their sound moving forward. It's not quite as bombastic as we will hear with their EPs going forward. It doesn't have quite the same level of wall of noise, not the same heaviness with the guitars. But it's still, I think it still gives a really good indication of what they're about, it, you know, this band that likes to kind of take their time with the music, let the music breathe and, you know, kind of introduce, you know, some really interesting ideas while also being poetic with their lyrics as well. And, you know, I think they're really good at kind of building those soundscapes. Um, so while it's not my favorite release of theirs, I think it definitely offers a lot, a lot, um, a lot for the listeners, the introduction. Um, I think, first of all, before I continue talking i think we should actually play a song from here um you chose this song michael why do why, why, why do you want to highlight comeback kid um because this one has a, a terrific bass line and i immediately hear kim deal um when i hear <laughs> nikki's playing across the next like three releases and of course i'm a sucker for pixies so immediately the song grabs my attention
So yeah, you can just hear their influences in that song. And that's why it kind of just gets wrapped together as like the perfect piece for me, at least on this album. Um, you know, I could have gone and chose Kissing Families, which uh, is another great tune. Um, mm-hmm. And I like some other songs on this too. Um, I think The Fuzz was uh, awesome instrumentally, um, but this one just stood out, uh, especially that refrain, the, the groove that just kind of like swings you back and forth. Uh, I just love that. I don't know. It, it was really catchy to me. And that's what you're going to find um, mm-hmm. going forward is that uh, this band is so good at um, just making really catchy, small adjustments to their riffs um, that just hooks you in. Um, and it, it, it's amazing. Very happy you brought up the hooks, Michael. It's definitely a, a, a pattern you'll hear coming from me as we move forward. Um, I will... Um, I will highlight the song I want to highlight from from Pi Cole is uh, all the go go in betweens. Like I said, I think this this album, does, sorry EP, I should say, uh, showcases their ability to let their songs breathe, so let their songs to kind of move on for a while. Well, at times they can be a little lengthy to the detriment. Well, that'll be a theme maybe going forward in the later releases for me at least. But I th- I think early on they were really good at um, just creating these longer songs, and I think they were. I don't know, it's really good at it. Uh, and I think this song demonstrates it. We'll play a, um, kind of like a halfway point between the song. Uh, the song itself is about almost eight minutes long, actually. So I would encourage you to go listen to the whole one after you're finished listening to our episode, of course. So, uh, Ben, if you want us to play this, the clip of it. Magazine. Other than that, um, Kissing Families kind of became a kind of a cold classic of theirs moving forward as they band got began to get a lot more attention. Um, I think that even eventually got its own music video. So I think the only song in this release that did. So um, yeah, other than that, I mean, it's just a good EP. I I, I recommend it. Sounds like Mike re- recommends it too. Um, that being said, do you have anything else you want to add, Michael? Not really. Um, one more highlight to the song you just played. Um, you know, as we move forward in the discography, my my biggest complaint is that, um, and Ben might agree with me on this, is that like uh, that song you just played is a great instance of a song that could possibly fall apart at any moment, um, you know, and kind of just like, you know, break down and shrivel out. And, and you know, I like that in a song just as much as Ben does. Um, but as we go on, the songs start to get more cool, more calculated, and it's completely up to personal preference, whether that's your thing or not. 
Um, yeah. But with Carnivus, um, we're kind of taking the sound that you heard on Pykel and just evolving it, making it into a full length album, um, mm-hmm. making it into almost like, um, <laughs> almost conceptually, just like, uh, a, like a bigger and greater piece. Um, and, and I know Andrew's going to be really excited to talk about this next one. I mean, it's a classic. <laughs> Thank you. That's actually, that's an interesting point. And, and um, I think I know that there are certain albums where I feel like as far as it's sounding kind of robotic, is that kind of what you're getting at, Michael? Sure. Maybe I'm still, yeah. I, that, that's, I, that's actually a really interesting point. And I think we'll get to that, uh, you know, with some of the later releases, but let's talk about Carnivus. This was released in 2006. This is their, you know, debut record. I believe the album comes the name of the album comes from a, a it's kind of like an homepage homage to uh, Albert's uh, Greek heritage. So there you go. Um, again, I feel like I also kind of threw this one around a bit, the, the, this line around a bit too much maybe, but I don't know. I think this is one of my favorite albums ever, like at least in the, like my top 20. I It's one of my most played records, which is crazy because this, this, this this album is kind of long. It's about an hour, I think it's almost an hour long, as is most there, as of as is most of their studio records. So, um, some of these albums can you do have to devote some time to it. Sometimes they use this time, that time well. Sometimes they don't. I think this they use this time very well. I can't except for maybe wasted on. I can't think of a single track that I would cut from here. I re- I really can't. I think everything comes together and it's just this wonderful package. Um, the, this, you can definitely start to hear the Pumpkins influence. And it's interesting because, you know, people, a lot, two bands I hear a lot of people compare them to is My Bloody Valentine and the Smashing Pumpkins, you know, and, and you know, similar to how people compared Muse to, um, to Radiohead early on in their career. Um, although people were more or less complaining that Muse is more of a ripoff <laughs> of Radiohead, at least at first. And you can kind of hear that at least with, uh, at least with the vocals. But I think uh, to me and Michael, maybe you'll disagree with me on this. I don't think this is a really a case of them ripping it off. I think it's paying homage to those sounds, homage to those bands. And again, like you said earlier, kind of expanding on that. Um, you're definitely hearing heavier guitars. You're definitely hearing almost like a wall of noise throughout this record. Although not most of it. There are, there are songs, there are moments uh, in songs that where they kind of dip a bit, where they kind of like they quiet out, they level. And I think this just ha- this album has great peaks and valleys. This album has great buildups as well. Um, I think that, I think that's something this album works really well with. Um, what, what, what do you have to say about this record, Michael? Um, nothing but good things. I got to say right now, I mean, it's a spec- spectacular collection of tunes. Um, it's consistent. The tracks flow into each other really nicely and it just swells. Um, I mean, this is the, this is the album where the band knows how to use guitar effects, um, going from, you know, like you said, huge walls of noise, but also, to, um, cutting down to more jangly, um, kind of sounds, um, I mean, this band knows how to use dynamics um, to their advantage, going from uh, soft to loud, um, probably taking inspiration from those 90s alt bands for sure. Um, I don't have much any complaints. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, Wasted On being a, a cut that you would make. I think that brings the bass to the forefront in such a fantastic way. My only complaint would be um, 
you know, the band, I would like them to examine how they use tempo to their advantage as well mm-hmm. as dynamics. A, a lot of complaints people will have about the band in general is that the song, too many songs are mid-tempo. You know, I'd like to see some, yeah. some of the ballads slow down, be dramatic. And I'd like to see the bangers just speed up intensely. And mm-hmm. I think you're going to see the evolution of that on the next album, but we got to play music from this one first, right? So, uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's, let's play a clip first. I do kind of want to talk about that, though. Um, yeah, let's, let's start with the one you picked, Michael. Um, Dream Temple 119. Why'd you highlight this one? Um, it's easy to sing along to, very catchy. Uh, the guitars stick out as being more heavy. Um, and Albert puts more energy behind the delivery. I mean, I think that um, besides the next song you'll hear, this is the most energy you're going to get from him uh, on the album. So. Here it is. Very happy you highlighted that one, Michael. I think that's just uh, just a great example. Like you said, um, uh, Brian's um, vocal abilities, um, you, just a great example of how this record sounds. Um, I mean, I, again, I was, although you could have picked any song on this record, I probably would have said the same thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, this is... I, I don't know. Yeah, like Michael said, I don't have a lot of negatives really to say about this record. Again, this, this album just means a lot to me personally, so that might be why. Um, There's it, an interesting point you brought up about the mid-tempo uh, song song structures, and I I I I, I will give credence to that. I, I think you know that can be an issue that this band comes across a lot throughout their discography. They sometimes tend to stay too mid-tempo. Sometimes I think it works for them. Like in this record, I really think it does because they still bring a lot of bombast, still a lot of energy to their songs, even if even if the drum tracks, even if just the, how they move forward kind of stays in uh, just the same cup, same few sets of gears. So, but you know, I I, I will I will agree with you that on some some extent. Um, okay, you, you you mentioned it, so I kind of want to hear from you a bit more, Michael. What what do you think of uh what what do you, what do you think of Brian's vocals on this? Like, just in general, I should say, actually. What, what, what do you think of his vocal abilities? Voice. <laughs> um, did, I, did I tell you once I thought Nikki was the singer? Um, because I his, was wondering if you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Because his, his vocals are very, like, um, how do I say it? Well, yeah, they're melodic. They're, they're very melancholy. And they're also, um, you know, they're, they're higher in pitch and you know, it's not what you would expect from an alternative band of the 2000s, at least when you're making those comparisons. Um, but yeah, I, I thought um, I thought Nikki was the singer for a long time and she does make vocal appearances. Um, but it, I like it. I can't say I dislike it. Um, but yeah, just not what I expected. For yeah. sure. 
And you, Michael, you know, and it, it's fine because you're not, you're far from the only one. I thought Nikki was the singer for a while too. And uh, I guess I'll be a little more on the nose with this. I, I don't like saying it, but yeah, in society, we have a typical way in how we hear, you know, female voices to male voices. And obviously there, there is no actual way to set the two apart. This is stupid, of course, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, there are different ranges, different vocals, cadences and whatnot. But, you know, yeah, a lot of people, I mean, yeah, a lot of people assume Brian was a female singer and a lot of people, thought, oh, Nikki's in there, she's the singer. And uh, when they go on, he said early on in the career, they go on stage and people would be surprised that, well, oh, he's a singer, okay. And most people be like, oh, that's just not what I expected. And, you know, um, you know, you take that for what you will, but uh, that, that, that is something that they, they kind of encountered a lot in early in his career. And he said he loved it. I mean, he thought it was great that people thought that way. So, um, so take that for what you will. Um, now, um, at the top of the episode, we did mention, I did ask Michael the question, do you think uh, pickups are a one hit wonder band? And that's because on this record has probably, no, definitely their most well-known song. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of those bit 2000s hits that, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, music, alternative music fans at the time go back to, I assume they do, I hope they do, because it's amazing. Uh, we're sort of talking about Lazy Eye. Most people might be familiar with the radio edit, where it's just kind of the first four minutes of the track, and it kind of cuts out the next two, three minutes of, a, of, of noise to kind of introduce into that, into that song. Um, but it, it is an, a, just a sweeping epic. It has just these crazy builds to it. It has this just iconic riff um, and just soaring vocals. And again, it just, just lets their instruments breathe on this one. Um, I This is not where I began with the pickups. I, I was aware of Lazy Eye, but a, a, record, a record we'll talk about later on is what actually got me into the pickups, but I mean, how like how can that riff? How can that? How can Brian's just screaming sunshine at the top of his lungs not just grab you and pull you in? Um, like, do you remember like do you remember the first time you heard Lazy Eye? And if so, kind of what what were your thoughts about it? Yeah, uh, I mean, I I remember it very clearly because um, I think it just came up at the end of a Spotify re uh, playlist. You know, when they recommend these songs. And like immediately after I heard it, I went and taught it to myself on guitar because I was like, this is so such an addictive riff um, and so easy to play too. just like a couple strums and a bend um, makes up the backbone of this of this song. Um, and it shows you how this band can do a, a whole lot with very little. Yes, that's the theme we'll talk about. The next thing we'll talk about and the next release, I should say. But uh, real quick before we play you all a clip of Lazy Eye, I also want to take this time to talk about not just on this record, but a lot of the releases moving forward. How like, good I think, how, how good the lyrics are, I think, uh, at least from the band presents, not only on this record, but like I said, moving forward. Um, Lazy Eye to me, you know, this is kind of, has this standard story, if you want to put it, put it that way. Uh, to me, I, what I always got it from it, it's a song about, trying you know like you're, you're you're watching this person not in a creepy stalkerish way but you know you're sitting at a bar you see this person from across the room maybe you've had a crush on this person for a while maybe you've been in love with this person for a while you just haven't really said how you feel and you know just waiting for that right moment waiting for that right moment but waiting for it all my life as the song says and uh, eventually it doesn't come uh 
perhaps the scream sunshine sort of frustration. Um, you know, I think that's something the band kind of presents very simple ideas, but writes in very poetic ways, you know. You know, I think that, like, especially on a song like Rusted Wheel, if I can step back for a second, um, I mean, it's very clearly a song about not being able to move on from something. They never say what that something is. They kind of do the thing uh, Dave Grohl does when he, a lot, when he writes a lot of his lyrics. They're vague, yes, but not poorly written. And vague, specific enough where you know it means something, but vague enough where you can fill in what that means with your own experiences, with your own, you know, personal issues or happiness or whatever you, whatever, what have you. Um, and I think Lazy Eye is a good example of that on this, on this album. So I guess kind of be picking that up when you listen to the lyrics, if you haven't listened to it for a while. Um, but yeah, let's uh, play a clip of Lazy Eye here, if you don't mind, Ben. song went to number five in the U.S. rock charts in 2007, as did the uh, uh, track Well Thought Out Twinkle 2008. Actually, there's something I don't like about the record. Well Thought Out Twinkle should have been the opener. I love Melatonin. It's a great song. I can relate it because I use Melatonin from now and again. But uh, <laughs> we don't need to get into that. But Well Thought Out Twinkles uh, should be the opener. I don't know why it isn't, but this it, is a nitpick. I, I think this album's tremendous in every way. I think I've said that enough. Michael, do you have anything else you want to add about this? Maybe about the lyrics, maybe about what this album brings to the table? You, you, uh, you did all my praise, all the praise I needed to do. You, you gave enough praise for five men. So I think <laughs> we're good to move on. But yeah, um, if you haven't listened to this one yet, um, you know, this is a, an essential when it comes to 2000s music, um, just the entire scope of it. So go ahead and do yourself a favor and check this one out. Before we move on to the next studio album, though, I do want to make a quick pick stop, and uh, I won't spend too long on this because it's not an official release. This is, I don't think it is. I don't know what this is, to be quite honest. And I know that's... <laughs> what are you talking about, Andrew? Um, in 2008, this, um, this, this thing, I guess, appeared on the internet. I don't know, or it was sold on CD. I don't know. There is just not a lot of info about this online. Uh, it's called Acoustic Set, and it's a primarily a gray album cover if you go looking for it. Um, from Discogs, it just says that they stopped by the, the KEXP radio station. I believe that's in Seattle. I could be wrong. Uh, 
do not quote me on that. Uh, and they've kind of performed a uh, just a small acoustic set on there. But it's not a lot. I don't think it was in front of an audience because there's no crowd noise on this. I, I guess it's a, I don't know if it's an actual demo thing. It just sounds like they just came into this place, randomly recorded some stuff. I don't know if it was for on air or whatnot, but it, they're, they're, I just don't have that info. It's just nowhere online, you know, and you can go on YouTube and when you search like them performing um, with that radio station, you'll see other performances on there, even acoustic ones. It's not the same thing. I don't believe this release in particular is on, is on video in any way, at least as far as I know. Um, and it might just be my favorite thing they've released, like, which is the weirdest thing to say because it's just, just them performing a bunch of acoustic versions of songs from Pie Cult and from Carnivus, plus a pretty awesome cover of Shadow Play by Joy Division. Um, it's just Brian, it's just Brian, sometimes Nikki, uh, singing over acoustic guitar. And it's raw, it's at times a little sloppy. Times they dip in and out of tune at times. It's very rough around the edges, and I love it for that reason because it just really highlights a lot of these songs and changes even a lot of these songs' meanings to me. It it just really reexamines and like just the pain and the sorrow that these songs can exude. Um, I was really, I was like, I don't want to say nervous, but I guess more or less interested in like presenting this to you, Michael, because it is just in a, a, a bunch of acoustic versions of their songs. So I wasn't sure if you would see any value to this. What, what did you think about this, Michael? Uh, I mean, dude, of course I liked it because this, this collection of songs puts um, Albert's guitar playing at the forefront, the triplets and like the way he strums and the way he was able to kind of control the buzz the acoustic gives off is just like, it fills me with like wonderment. I'm just like, wow, how, how is this type of playing possible? And it's something I try to even emulate in my own playing and I don't get close. So you know, you hear that. And then, like you said, it's rough around the edges, but it gives it so much character. Um, like the, the singing sometimes shifts away from uh, the tempo, like the actual beat. And, um, and, and that's where you get like, you know, some breakthrough um, when it comes to character and personality. And, uh, you know, this is like the one instance uh, besides from like other live sets, of course. Um, but the, the best instance I would say of like this band just like coming down to earth and just being like, all right, here's, here's the absolute essentials of our music. Um, so yeah, I, it's, I really appreciate it. And it is one of my favorite things I listened to while re researching for this episode. So. Yeah. And you know, I think this release highlights something I like to call the Nick Drake principle, specifically referring to his album Pink Moon. If you've never listened to it, first of all, listen to Nick Drake's Pink Moon. I think both me and Michael will, will give you a hard recommendation on that for sure. But he, I bring that album up because it's pretty much for that entire record, just Nick Drake and his acoustic guitar. And you know, he brings on some fantastic pick work on, on that record. But also it, it kind of like highlights the mental state he was in you know, because that was only a few years before he died. Um, obviously, his, this album's nowhere near that dramatic. Uh, no, the, all the band members are alive and well today. But um, the, it, it kind of really shows how, it's a cliche, but I think it's true in this case, less is more. How you could bring in so much emotion, so much rawness and intimacy with just 
kind of cutting everything back and just just doing just the absolute bare bones. And I think they really kind of reinvent a lot of their songs. Hell, I honestly probably like the versions of Well Thought Out Twinkles and Lazy Eye just as on this release just as much as the studio works. And people might think I'm crazy for that, but fine. I mean, I get, if anyone were to listen to this, I understand. Listen, Andrew, I don't know what I don't know what you're talking about. This is just just some acoustic versions of their songs. If they say that, I understand, but. To me, I think this album, this whatever this is, just really highlights the, the, the band's strengths when it comes to displaying their emotions. Um, and the track I will play to kind of demonstrate that is possibly my favorite song of theirs, period. It's a version of Rust Wheel that appears on this record. Um, the one on Carnivus, I used to think was one of the blander songs on on that record. It's grown to grown on me over time, but it it, it, it can be a bit tedious at, at times. And I think they can they reinvented it perfectly on this track. I'm happy you brought up strumming the strumming on this uh, release, Michael, because um, it, I think a really again high I think in this song in particular it really showcases uh, Brian's strength. So. Uh, ben, if you don't mind playing us uh, a clip of that, and we can move on to the next record. Do you want to introduce this next one? Yeah, um, I would love to because this next one, um, there's parts of there's parts of this next album that scream to me even more than uh, Carnivus um, on Swoon. Uh, I mean, this one you're going to hear the influences just at the forefront. Um, there's a song called Substitution, which just like oh oh my god, just <laughs> it, it's such a pumpkins riff. And I, I almost like want to hear Billy Corrigan sing on it or cover it or these guys got to play together because it was so great. But I mean, it, I'm not saying that the, the pickups don't have their own sound on this album, but you can just hear all of the influences on this one. Somehow they just all break through on every separate song and it still carries over the same traditions that uh, Carnivus did by the songs flow into each other really nicely. Um, but it also answers my um my my gripe with the first record when it comes to tempo um i mean right when you blast into it uh there's no secrets this year answers my request um throwing into a faster catchier heavier song um 
And then right after that, you get um, the really dramatic ballad that I was asking for from the Royal We. So, so yeah, that that's that's my first um, uh, fangirling about this album because um, this one I really liked. Um, I can't. I don't know if I I should say I like this one more than Carnivus because that would um, open me up to some criticism. But um, for some reason, this one just grabbed me a little bit more. Um, what do you think, Andrew? No, you know, I, 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 I'll, I'll come to back you on that. I mean, personally, I do like Carnivus more. But I, I think when it comes to me, there's almost like when it comes to like, you know, Swoon and Carnivus, it kind of reminds me of like the first two B-52s records, you know, in the sense that, you know, you know, like, the, you know, the self-titled and, you know, um, and Wild Planet, you know, those, those are, those are kind of like the 1A, 1B to a lot of people. It's like, they're so equal in quality, you know, you know, it, very similar in sound. It's not quite the same, I think, with Carnivus and Swoon, but they're so similar in quality. It's kind of like, okay, it, a lot of times it might just depend on like, which one did you listen to first? You know, it might be that kind of situation or the, what slight differences do you prefer? You know, and I, 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 and I think both Swoon and Carnivus are very similar in quality. I think they're both very just neck and neck in terms of what they offer. Um, I mean, so yeah, I, I don't th- I think it's absolutely fair to say that you prefer, you might prefer Swoon over Carnivus. I mean, that makes sense. I think this album is sli- a slightly better production on this in Carnivus. Uh, as much as I love Carnivus, I will admit the, the, like it can be a bit muddy at times with the mixing and the production, but I think everything kind of comes out clear on this record. Does the album swoon to me almost feels, I mean, this is breaching too far forward, but almost more operatic to me than Carnivus. It, it soars a little more, it feels more sweeping. And I think it brings a, a, a similar, but different take on that on Carnivus. This this album almost feels slightly darker even as well. Um, the strings definitely help with that. There's some there's some uh like harp and and violin mm-hmm. uh, that that definitely helps with the darkness of the album for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you you know and I think so there are some really interesting and I think well done production choices on this record. Um I I think uh, since you mentioned it, we'll, we'll play this first. Uh, not the best example of that, but um, I you mentioned substitution, Michael, and I think that's a. I believe that, I think that was a. I think that was a single. Um, I'm gonna fact check live on air. Was that a single? I'm feeling time to check. Uh, yes, it was. This is the other song I picked. But yeah, let's play a bit of substitution. I think that's a really strong track.
Yeah, I just think that one's really strong. I mean, and then that opening riff, just like, uh, yeah. I don't know what it does to me, but it's just like. No, I mean, it's insanely catchy. It's almost understated how catchy it is, you know, in a sense, because it, it's not like, it, it just, it's not like, you know, unlike the next song I picked, you know, it's not like over the top, it doesn't like pump you up necessarily, but, you know, it has, it, it has this, this like seedling of this hook that eventually you're just hobbing it like, two hours later, it's like, oh my God, where is this? And then you can't get out of here. So mm -hmm. it's a great track. Um, so I think the rest of this record is, I think this record's also just very strong overall. This is, again, it's a little lengthy, but I think it uses this time well. Um, it really just lets their song soar. And when I talk about that, the main song I have is probably the big, I guess the quote unquote big single from this record, Panic Switch. Um, yeah. um, if not for the version of Rusted Wheel, um, that, that appears on that acoustic set. This might be my favorite pickup song. It's not the most original pick, but my God, I love it. And, you know, I mentioned earlier talking about vulnerability, specifically in the lyrics. And I think this is definitely a strong example of that. Um, you know, it, I don't know if this is coming from a personal experience um, from, from Brian's standpoint, but it clearly talks about a person who, um, you know, I think has like an anxiety disorder. You know, they have trouble going to sleep, you know, it has a white noise machine when he goes to bed, he's even the line, can she sleep with someone with, with a panic, you know, referring to you know, having perhaps panic attacks. I think it may, actually might be panic disorder instead. I, I apologize if I said anxiety. Um, but it clearly, just that line, it's like, that hits you right in the gut. Like, will this person love me because I have, you know, because I have these, you know, you know, mental disorders. And, you know, it's, it's a, I, I, I don't have these, thankfully but if someone did i i don't know like like the, the like you know like everyday things like that just like how do you like it's just trying to manage that it's just just heartbreaking to me so and i think this this album really this is the album and this song in particular really high highlights their ability to be vulnerable to really just kind of just let themselves be out there um so yeah i mean what, michael can i ask you what you thought about this track I haven't heard you talk about it. Yeah, I mean, aside from everything you mentioned about the the poetic of the lyricism, um, it's also insanely groovy and addictive. Um, and you're going to hear that when Ben plays it. Um, I mean, it's something you can jam out to and also reflect on, um, which I think is hard to do when you when you try to put a song together. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I, I think is that everything you want to say about this record, Michael? I think it's about there. Um, I this one is kind of like the um, it's like the favorite child for me that you you can't say is your favorite child. You know what I mean? Because uh, there's oh, you, have, you have the honor student that's like just killing it and he's doing great, but you have this one that like likes the same stuff that you're into, and you're like, okay, you're kind of my favorite. That's that's how I feel about smooth. <laughs> that's that's one of the best metaphors i've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah and on that bombshell let's listen to a clip of panic switch you hear what i mean by this record and we'll move on to the next album
that buildup is just insane. Yes. I also forget how good Nikki is on base. She's really, she's really good. She is, man. I, she's, she's, I swear she is inspired by Kim Deal. I swear. But yeah, that song is just so addictive for me to listen to. That chorus just, just blows up, man. Uh, let me take a quick time for a second. Ben, did I say Mo Lester? Because I'm sure I said Joe Lester. Just guys, just saw your chat. <laughs> Make me doubt myself, then. God. <laughs> All right. Let's just move forward. <laughs> All right. Uh, now we've got. Now that we finished talking about Swoon, let's go on to the next record. Um, 2012's um, uh, Neck of the Woods. Now. The Midwest emo album, due to the house on the cover. <laughs> I was gonna say, really? Well, I didn't hear that, but then the house. Yeah, no, that is you, right. That is very. That, that's like very reminiscent of America's football, the first American football record. Yep. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so um, I'll, I'll be. So here's the thing. I as much as I've been kind of fanboying this entire episode, I'm gonna call my stand levels here down because I think from this point on, I think some of the band's flaws do tend to get more prevalent to me. Some of the band's, um, you know, weak spots can can come out and the albums themselves to me get a little spottier as we move forward. Um, I'm not saying I, I I don't really dislike any of the albums, you know, moving forward, but you definitely see why some people might uh, not, not enjoy these ones. And, you know, they can kind of be kind of hit or miss for me. So, um, but that being said, let's talk about Neck of the Woods. It very actually did really well in the iTunes charts, apparently. Good, good, good for this. But I'm not gonna lie, I really had listened to this one before I started for I started researching for this episode because I don't know, I rarely ever hear people talk about this album. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because the circles I'm in. Maybe it's just, I just don't really look at the forums for this band too much. But like this, this is not one I, I hear too often about for whatever reason. And after listening to it, I can kind of see why. I, I'm not sure if I call this my least favorite um, album now, especially after revisiting a certain record we'll, we'll talk about later. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of iffy on this one. Uh, what do you think about this one, Michael? Yeah, I think this is the first instance where the band is attempting a, a tonal shift, which I always respect. The drum machines are a lot more prevalent on this one. You're going to hear that um, from the single The Pit, which you're going to hear, I think, in a little bit. Uh, the vocals have a lot more choral kind of refrains, um, a lot more like kind of mouth noises. And, and it sounds like you're almost in a church. I don't want that to offend you, Andrew, but it is like kind of sleepy. Um, but some of the tracks still hit hard. Um, a lot of aggression on songs like Mean Spirits, which is definitely my favorite. You'll hear that one. Um, of course, like I said, when I first saw the cover, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a Midwest emo album. But, you know, sorely disappointed. Overall, it was still a pleasant listen for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, a, an unfortunate step down from the quality of Swoon. Um, the production starts to sound a little bit more artificial a little more robotic. Um, And I'm really missing that aggression that we got from Aubert really early in the career. And that's going to be my gripe going forward. It's like, where's, where did all that aggression come from on, um, on lazy eye and where's it going and why can't you bring it back? Um, That was my main problems. But um, I, 
Yeah. I think that's a very fair point talking about uh, Auburn's full voice. Now, however, and I'll, 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 I think that's kind of more prevalent on the next record. I don't mind kind of what he did on the next album with his, with his vocals. I think taking a step down kind of worked for me in there. I'm sure we'll have disagreements with that, but we'll get to that when it comes. But yeah, I mean, this album does feel a little bit stepped down. It doesn't feel as heavy. It, you feel like there's a bit of a, almost more of a, I don't want to say a pop direction going forward here, mm-hmm. but like you can start here seeing the kernels with that and uh, on this album and yeah i don't know there's just something about there's just something i feel like there's something missing and you know you mentioned things kind of getting, like the tempo getting a little too calculated earlier and i think maybe because because they are drum machines i i definitely heard that like when the first uh when the album's intro you know skin graph opened up i mean i liked it but it was like that drum machine was like okay i kind of like this tempo but also like yeah like the drum machine was it was noticeable like yeah. it was and I got off. I got no problems with drum machines or synths or any that kind of production, but when it's kind of thrown at you after the tales of albums like Carnivus and Swoon, it just it just hits you in the wrong way, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, and but but like you said, Michael, I still found this to be a pleasant listen. I mean, to me, this is like a six and a half, seven out of ten. If you want to give it a rating, mm-hmm. I, I may close to a six, six and a half, but I. I mean, there, there was definitely a lot here I enjoyed. There were definitely songs to picked out. There were certain ones like The Pit and Here We Are. Like, I, they weren't, what's this, uh, someone says Here We Are? Yes, yes, as it is. I'm doubting myself. Yeah, th- th- those songs were kind of like low points for me on the record. Like there, there are some forgettable tracks on here, but um, yeah, I don't know. The, 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 Nick, you, you definitely start hearing a, a step down moving forward here. But um, I, I still think it's worth a listen if you really enjoyed what you heard from the previous two records. Um, you mentioned Mean Spirits, Michael. Why don't we well, – um, you kind of mentioned how aggressive it was. Is that why you wanted to highlight this one? Yeah, pretty much. I think this one is the where we're going to see the most emotion. Um, the Pit is another great example of that, just in a different way. But um, – you know, part of me felt sad when I first heard this song because I'm like, is this is this all I'm going to get? It's also on the B side. So it's like, is this all I'm going to get um, in terms mm-hmm. of like, you know, real anger um, coming from Aubrey? But um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to give that a listen real quick and let the listeners hear just exactly what I mean from Mean Spirits.
I think I have to agree. That's probably my favorite track on the record. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a good one, but it, it does kind of make you sad because even after all that buildup, um, you're not getting a crazy blown out scream like you should be getting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of just a, a raise in the voice that fills yeah. the void for you, but doesn't quite get you there. And that's it, I'm not, that's actually interesting to bring that up because that's actually kind of a gripe I have moving forward from this record onward. Sometimes they do like really good builds, but then it like kind of lacks a payoff at times. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. like that happens every, that does happen every now and again moving forward. And I don't like that, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, apart from, even though I'm not crazy about the pit, I like the other singles on here, uh, particularly Bloody Mary, Dots and Dashes. I like those. I, there, 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 there were songs I picked out. I, I mean, there wasn't a song I really hated. It's just, yeah, it's just, it feels, it feels a little underwhelming. I think it's the best way for me to put it, you know, especially coming after two, all the strong releases they had before this. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll play a, a song I also really drew on here called Busy Bees. Um, other than that, do you have anything else you want to add about this record, Michael? Not really, man. Uh, the next one is where we'll get a little more intense. <laughs> I feel so. Uh, let's, play, let's play Busy Bees. Yeah, you know, and I, I still think they still, I think they make good soundscapes, you know, and um, on this record. I think that's is one of the brightest sides of this album. I don't want to say I'm like totally poo-pooing it, because I'm not. I still think it has its moments, but yeah. Um, now let's move forward. And this is, this is the one I'm like, oh, okay, Michael's not going to like, and it sounds like this might be the case. Uh, let's talk about 2015's Better Nature. Now... This is an interesting one to me because when I was listening, doing research, I, I, I was kind of struck by how different this record feels from the rest of their discography, particularly with tone. Like, like this, like most of the, re- like, and you know, and I have alluded to it when I, I kind of talked about, again, their vulnerability earlier. This, this, this band's overall sound can be, can be a little on the depressor, the downer side of things. And I'm not saying that as an insult. It's just, I mean, personally, I, I like, that's one of the reasons why I like them. But this record, not every song, but a lot of these songs, even lyrically at times, is, very, is a lot brighter. This, this feels more like a mainstream, you know, pop, popier record to me. Almost kind of dances into indie pop, which to me... When a indie, alternative band kind of forays into indie pop, that's a sign that they're that they're done. Like it happened to Bleach, it happened to Dead Sarah. I might be biased here in the sense this is actually where I started with the pickups. This is actually kind of the record that kind of introduced me to them. I remember I was like on a bike ride, um, 
it was this was during high school. And you know, I was aware of LACI and whatnot. You know, I, I knew they the pickups existed. But I think I, I think I got like like every now and again, Google Play does like a deal where you can download like certain albums for free. They could be old, new releases and whatnot. And uh, they were offering this one, so I kind of put it on my phone. And then as I was writing, it was in, like the middle of like this like the woods or something. I was on like this grassy path and uh, latch the song from this album Latchkey Kids came on, and I was like blown away. I said, Whoa, what is this? This is this this hook. This is this is crazy. Um, and I think later on, Ragamuffin also came on and that kind of drew me in moving forward. Even though I don't think those songs are, these songs are not necessarily indicative of their sound overall in the career. Um, they, they, they drew me in and I, I like this record. I do. And it, in all honesty, I shouldn't based on what I like. And it's far from a perfect record. I will agree. And I will probably, in some of the criticisms, Michael, I think you're, a lot of the criticisms I think you're going to bring up are going to be fair, and I think, and I can understand them. But I, I still think this album has a lot to offer. I still think that this album, um, you know, brings a lot to the table, you know, in some facet. While, while it might not be the same as it was before, um, yeah, I still think this band has stuff to offer on here. But, Michael, what did you think about this record? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, man, I'm, I'm not going to tear you apart here because it's still, it's not unlistenable for sure, but this is the definitely, um, kind of marks the shift that I was dreading. Um, here's your first mistake. Um, Jackknife Lee produced this. And if you don't know who that is, he's responsible for plenty of trashy alt rock albums in the late 2000s most notably the killers and a hey, lot of fuck you no <laughs> i will not let you stand destroying the killers the first two records are great i i don't like all the electronic sounds i'm, I'm not gonna let you disparage the killers here michael okay but here's the here's this also a couple really trashy weezer albums i don't know which ones but it's in that era oh jesus um, <laughs> so so that's your first mistake and you essentially lose what made the silver sun pickups great early on um by exchanging the unique guitar playing for standard overdriven bar chords just in standard time um you know the aggressive vocals get switched out for like this cheerful chanting and i don't mind i don't mind a positive record a, a record that's more upbeat but uh, i don't know I, if the, if that's coming from a genuine place I'm okay with that, but it feels forced. The entire album feels forced for me. Um, you know, and there were a couple songs that stood out for unique synth tones. Um, Andrew predicted it. I love Tape Deck and Pins and Needles. Those were my, those were my big picks. Um, just, you know, the unique sound. And it's kind of like this weird, um, like kind of John Cagey, like, uh, weird yeah. prepared piano, almost like groove to it. I don't know another way to, kind of explain that but songs like circadian rhythm man uh that scarred me pretty hard oh. i i hated that song <laughs> like, oh, i love that song oh i have to disagree on that uh, here's the thing i apart from apart from circadian rhythm i yes i i don't think you're i don't think you're wrong michael i think there are very legitimate criticisms of this album um i, I did not know yet i i forgot the jack life lee produced this and yeah I wish he hadn't. Um, but, you know, because this album does sound very clean. Uh, you know, and something else I forgot to mention, why this album sounds very different. You kind of just said it right there, you can do with the production. I mean, the notes have a lot more space to kind of 
space in between them. They're, you don't have this, you know, harsh wall of noise you're getting with Swoon and with um, Carnivus. And honestly, I kind of like hearing that. I, I kind of like hearing, you know, the pickups have more space to let the notes breathe out. It's a different, it's a different sound for them. And I, and I actually rather enjoyed it. Um, yeah, some of these singles to cut, like aren't the best. Some of these songs aren't the best in their catalog. I, I don't know why I inexplicably like this. Again, it might just because it's where I started. And, you know, I have some of that love for that. But even then, like Circadian Rhythm, I think it's a very, um, first of all, we got to have Nikki sing there. And I, I, I haven't really mentioned it because cause she, she, I know she's saying, I think, all of Creation Lake. And uh, she appeared on, I want to see another she had some verses or like a bridge, I think, on a song in Carnivus. I don't remember which one, but she 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 has a lovely voice. I don't think she's as a power. She's definitely not as powerful as Brian, but um, he, um, I think she definitely. I wish I wish I could have heard her more throughout this discography. That is a, that is a criticism I have this man. I wish we can hear more of Nikki. I like the fact that she sung on that record. I think she I think she wrote all the lyrics too. That was about. Um, I think a friend of hers at Ruthie passed away. And I think um, <laughs> I just noticed Ben typing Jack Astley in the down there. <laughs> and back for a second. I, I'll agree with that. Um, yeah. You know, you know, and I, I think it, again, it brings some of that vulnerability out that I love from this band. Um, oh, did, oh, he produced neck of the woods as well. Thank you. Thank you for fact checking that Ben. Uh, I, I think his influence was stronger on uh, better nature. Absolutely. Um, well, in some cases, yes, I can see how the positivity is forced. I I still think it works in a lot of ways. I as cliche as Lasky Kids kind of is, I still love like the hook to that and the riff is great. And again, I love how the notes are spaced out. Again, something you hadn't really heard from them before. Um, and you know, Ragamuffin. While I feel like the build up does not get paid off and that's annoying. It is a bit tedious. I still love the soundscapes, soundscapes they bring in, the melodies they, they bring to that track. Um, Tape Deck is fantastic. I can't forget how good that one is. And I like Connections. I think, I think this album has a lot of strong hooks as well. Listen, I'm gonna say that, Michael, you're not wrong. I don't think you're wrong in this. I see your issues with it. And maybe I'm just the weirdo here, but um, yeah, I, 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 I think this album has its strengths. I really do, even though, despite all its flaws. It, this might just be one that I inexplicably like for whatever reason. But um, yeah, I mean, this this is not my least favorite of theirs. It, it, I, I I still kind of revisit this one often. So I don't know. That's just me. Uh, do you want to kind of talk about uh, the yeah, the song you chose to play on this, Michael? Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, Tape Deck has this weird rhythm to it that that stood out to me just as a, as a creative idea. Um, and I'm, you know, Ben's going to play that specific part for me. It's like a breakdown um, where the, it's like this weird, um, pr weirdly produced rhythm. So yeah, Ben, you can go ahead and play that. This is, this is, this stood out to me and I wouldn't mind seeing more stuff like this in their discography later on.
I just figure out another gripe I have with this one. Sorry, Andrew. You're starting uh-huh. to hear the age in Aubert's voice. Um, now I'm not second guessing myself if it's Nikki singing or not. Now I can definitely tell. Like, all right, this is a <laughs> this is a middle aged guy singing these indie pop songs. <laughs> no, you know, again, I think that's fair. Personally, again, I kind of like this more subdued, slightly aged. Albert. I mean, I, I think, again, I think it gives his voice character. I mean, I, I think to me, it's a bit more of an evolution to me than, than a setback. I could see why some of my view is a setback, but you know, I think that might just be me. And, you know, um, yeah. And, and I don't want to know. I have much else to say about it. Again, I definitely see the gripes on this, on this record, but again, I, I, I still like revisiting it a lot. Um, before we play out uh, my favorite song on the record, Latchkey Kids, uh, move on to the final record we'll be talking about. Do you have anything else you want to say, Michael? Anything anything to what I, I mentioned earlier? I think I got it all out. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah. The, the, go ahead, listen to this. If you really find that you like the first few albums and like this is a band that you're like really identified with, go ahead. It's not essential, though. I'm going to say it right now. It don't, don't listen to what Andrew said. It's not essential. Um, <laughs> so, but um, yeah, that's all I pretty much had to say. Michael's wrong opinions out of the way here. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's move on to the uh, to at this point uh, their most recent record, uh, 2019's uh, Widows Weeds. Uh, yes, there is an S at the end of Widows. Um, this is an interesting one to me. I remember enjoying this one when it came out initially. Um, I don't know how I feel about it now. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, if we want to talk about production, they actually, thankfully, switched out Jack Knife Lee for a different producer, one that we also should all be familiar with, Butch Fig. Obviously, uh, band-wise, he's known for playing uh, in the band Garbage, a fantastic band, um, as well as um, producing uh, works for bands that you may have heard of, Sonic Youth, uh, Nirvana, he produced, he produced for the Pumpkins, right, Michael? Or am I misremembering that? I, I can't confirm that for you, but didn't he do Foo Fighters? Or he's worked with Dave Grohl a lot? Yeah, yes, he has. Yeah, yes. I think he, I, yeah, I think he produced uh, Wasting Light, which is one of my favorite Foo Fighters records. So, yes, the man certainly um, has a good track record, but also not a fantastic one. Uh, he, he did produce uh, Green Day's uh, 21st Century Breakdown. Mm. Uh, oof. 
not the worst thing Green Day ever made. It's far from the best. Uh, he, did, he did not do a good job producing that record. Uh, he was just not a good fit for that band. Um, as far as fitting with the pickups, I mean, it makes sense to me. I mean, at first it makes sense because it, because the band has, they, they, we've repeated like a lot on the show. You can hear a lot of their influences of 90s alternative, which is kind of the scene, the world where Butch Fig kind of made his name from. So at, at first, at first it makes sense um, why it might be a good fit. Actually, even Brian did a song with Garbage, I think for like a record store day release. I don't remember the title of it, but um, so they seem they kind of had a relationship with them before in some way. Um, as far as how the production came out, I'm interested if you have to hear about, about this, Michael, because you're going to hear a lot, you're going to hear some more strings, at least on a couple songs on here. Uh, you're going to hear a lot more acoustic guitars. I think Brian, like that, that's the theme of this record. It's very acoustic guitar heavy. Um, I think Brian said that he kind of fell in love, uh, work, fell back in love with, with acoustic, uh, instruments when he was working on this record. Um, Michael, what did, what did you think of this one? Yeah, um, this one is definitely better than the last, and hopefully the start to um, the right direction. Um, Butch Vig was always a good sign going in, and that piqued my interest just to, like as soon as I got into it. The guitars are more pronounced. You get a taste of the acoustic, like you said, the strings. Um, ultimately, it's going to take a lot more to impress me after, um, after the last album, um, returning to the old ways means the band got caught up in mid tempo world again, um, which not on every song, we'll not on to- every song, not on every song, but on a lot of songs. Instrumentally, this one is drastically improved, but also I would say lyrically, uh, it might be the weakest. Honestly, um, I just want to ah. read you the chorus of Freakazoid real quick. Um, I believe <laughs> you're trying to keep us all from dying. I believe you're crying to keep this whole thing flying. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just like, I, I think this is and getting, trying to get back to the instrumental roots. Um, I think lyrically this album was just like, it was a second thought. I can definitely tell like the songs were composed before the lyrics were put in and you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe they were on the road, maybe they had other things going on, but like the, the poetry, the lyricism wasn't there and it felt like it was just all plugged in. And that to me is really disheartening. Um, there was a few tracks that I liked. Um, I didn't like, or I did like, it doesn't matter why, even though that one is lyrically weak too, but just the refrains are really good and it's got hooks, um, for days. Um, we're, we are chameleons. You'll play that one. That one's good too, but I know, here's the sum up. I know these are creative musicians. I know these are talented people. And if anything, this album is made me pay, pay attention to what's coming next. I'm really excited. If they're going to have this slow, but you know, sure climb um, or ascent back to listenable music, I'm, I'm for that. Um, and, and this was the step in the right direction. I, I, if you got anything from that, I am praising this record, but it's, it needs some work. It's, it's a backhanded praise. Yeah. Uh, let's hear a little bit of it. Doesn't matter why.
doesn't matter why we're known we're just known i don't yeah. know <laughs> I, I will say yes i will agree on the lyrics i don't think the lyrics are as strong on this one probably yeah probably the weakest um how i will i will, I will say this um i'm glad i'm glad you did uh i'll play that one so that was the first single um song we just played and that was released early i think early last year and um i think actually i talked about it like maybe i recommended it on, on soundcheck. I don't, I don't quite remember. Um, but I think I did talk about it on the show. And I, at first I was kind of like off put by some things. I, I, I don't know why I have this weird pet peeve with clapping in songs. I hate it. I don't like clapping in songs. <laughs> it always sounds like childish to me. It's just not for me. So I don't like that part. Lyrics. Yeah. Leave a little bit to desire to be desired to say the least. Um, but man, ever think about the song, I was like, "Whoa, this is an interesting direction." Um, I don't know how much, how much, how much of like the bringing, like you know, like the strings and you know, focusing on acoustic guitar was uh, Butchervik's, um, uh, you know, input into the band. I don't know, but it, it, if it doesn't sound like anything else that we've heard from the band thus far, so I'm gonna say that at least he had some play in it. And I think in this case, Butchervik was definitely the right choice when I hear it, because I love this song. It's, I Lyrics aside, I was really drawn to it. I don't know why, but the song that kept popping in my head when I was hearing this for some reason was I Ran by A Flock of Seagulls. Uh, I don't know why. I was getting kind of the same vibes from that song, and it kind of, I, I think I described it this time as Silver Sun Pickups meets uh, A Flock of Seagulls, which is just a weird thing to say, but... I, I love the strings that they introduce in here. Like you said, the refrains and just the hooks it has for days. It's great. And I love that little acoustic riff that they introduce at the start and the little piano taps that they bring. It's great. I mean, that, that song is just right up my alley. Um, I have to say though, I, I was kind of high on the record when it was first released. I, I, this might be my least favorite. Honestly, it's probably my least favorite record of theirs. And not to say the length of direction they're going in, I do. But man, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like when you mentioned mid-tempo, like this song definitely is not mid-tempo at all. But like a lot of the songs are, there's like very plotting, like I guess you could say ballads, but there's not a lot of like emotional weight to them. Um, you know, I mean, I, I like how some of these, like, stuff like uh, Neon Moon or We Are Chameleons, you know, they, they bring a lot of, like, heavy guitars. It's not, like, heavy in the same way Carnivus was. Like, the, the, the guitars sound a little less muddy. They're, they're a little less showgazy. They're more just in your, you know, just in your face. They're almost sludgy in a way. And I, and I really like that sound, and I hope we get more of that moving forward. But, man, I I, I don't know. Like, this, this this record was just kind of, like, background noise to me at times it was just yeah it's not as good as i remember it being from last year i don't think it's completely terrible but like it just doesn't hit me as much as other their previous records do um i actually don't really have much more to say about that i think butch was not sometimes he can be a bad fit for some bands but i think butch was a pretty decent fit for them and i just i guess we'll just have to see what they sound like moving forward do you have anything you want to add to that michael 
I don't think so, man. Like I said, this one, it piques my interest. And if anything, it, it's making me want to stay tuned. Um, I'm going to revisit this band at the next thing they release. And I, you know, I'm going to see if it's, you know, continuing to climb back up and hopefully, you know, um, Albert reaches some sort of uh, musical hallelujah and really comes through on, on something later on. And um, maybe he'll be inspired by everything going on in the world right now. Cause I know he has lyrical um, power and influence and he can mm-hmm. write some terrific lyrics. Um, and now I think he's going to, um, you know, if I were to predict uh, what's happening next, he's going to reflect on his lyricism a little more and, you know, hopefully write something that's, really meaningful so i'm looking out for that release it's interesting they don't really get political from my understanding their lyrics i would be interested to hear like if they were able to bring those lyrical prowess that we know they have to uh to to those topics i'd be very interested to hear what they have to say about that for sure um other than that yeah let's let's play uh the closing track in the record uh we are chameleons and i think that's everything we have to i think that's that's your lot that's your discography Mm -hmm. Think that's a good track to end it because it is kind of like calling back to uh to the earlier records which of course we have determined in this episode are essentials go back and listen to uh swoon go back and listen to carnivus and uh check pikel out as well um and then if you like those keep going uh that would be my advice what about you andrew same honestly i mean yeah def- the early stuff is the strongest for sure um, you know, once you get past 2010, yeah, that's I mean, just kind of enter with some caution and enter knowing like it, it just kind of depends on your personal choice. If you like a more indie pop sound, we'll probably like better nature. Um, for someone like Michael who really doesn't get into the, that kind of sound. Yeah. It's going to be hard to listen and I could totally understand. So, um, I, I, I think it just kind of, you, you do have to enter that portion of your career with some caution, I suppose. And, like I said, I, I don't want to completely stand for this band. I, I admit they, they they have they have they they have their they have their faults when it comes to discography. But man, when they are strong, they are 
insanely strong. And um, I was just happy you let me do this episode, Michael, and just to kind of get this off my chest. Uh, I'm, and I'm, I'm really happy you enjoyed them. I mean, I, I think I've said pretty much everything I want to say about this band. I, I want to stop gushing. Uh, this, uh, how about you close off this discussion, Michael? Final, final um, thoughts. I'm about really glad we did this episode. I'm, if anything, it expanded my knowledge of, you know, mid 2000s indie rock as a whole. And, you know, definitely do not disclude this band from that conversation when you're talking about, you know, Ty Seagull or, you know, all those bands that played at the, uh, the Silver Lake. Um, I mean, this is the, this is the band that took that name from that scene. So go check them out. I mean, such a rich history um, with a lot of rich music. Excellent. Well, after that, and now with that, start, let's, let's, let's give our recommendations. Um, who you can wants start. To start. All right. Um, I think I, I will go then. Uh, at, at the end of the last episode we recorded i think i mentioned um briefly that i'm actually getting into a lot of post-punk like over the summer that was like one of my big sounds you know i hadn't really like tacitly explored um you know joy division and whatnot um but i hadn't really like fully dived into it but i guess like after listening to nico uh, i was kind of compelled to like look further into the sounds i found a lot of bands that are really like some very well known you know um others not so much and he, Here's a new band. Oh, how new? I think they're fairly new. Hold on. Um, I think their um, first record came out just only a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, like 2017. So they're still pretty new. Uh, they're called New Today. I don't know if they're from America or not. I know a lot of these um, post-punk bands come from Europe. So uh, I, I, I don't really have much of a biographic info on them. They don't have a lot of listeners on Spotify. I hope we can change it because they're pretty good. I haven't said the name already. The band's called New Today. Um, they just have a really heavy, you know, post-punk sound. Uh, you know, you can even draw some parallels to the pickups, maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, parallel Again, the pickups did record a, a Shadow Play once, a uh, cover of that. So I'm sure they have post-punk influences to them. Um, here's a song called Cyclone. It's probably my favorite one of theirs. It's, it's got a crazy riff. post-punk episode before you graduate because right. uh, I, I love that sound so much i do too i love how cold uh you know like these bands come across you know it's just a really they really hit their 
uh, moves, right? Um, yeah. Um, and also expect more post-punk uh, <laughs> recommendations from me, I guess, moving forward. Um, but yeah, that's my recommendation. Michael, I want to hear about yours. All right. This one is has a story behind it, because as as we said on the last one, Ben went on a road trip over the summer, but uh, so did I. I found some time after my internship to head over to Montana and Wyoming, um, South Dakota to visit the national parks out there with my girlfriend. And when we were in Montana, we stopped in Missoula and I found one of my the best record store I've ever seen. I mean, they had everything from. Um, you know, really underground punk to house music to, um, you know, hip hop. And they just had everything. And it was awesome. And um, one of the bands I found was a CD by this artist named Madhu Mokhtar. Um, don't get on my ass if I'm pronouncing that wrong, because um, I probably am. But this band is from, this artist is from the Saharan Desert, specifically from Niger. Um, and I, I originally discovered... Um, the band playing on KEXP, um, which is that radio station from Seattle we mentioned. Um, and then I found their CD in this record store. And it was, um, I didn't know what to expect from it um, because I heard them playing. And all I have to say is the most innovative guitar playing I've ever heard, um, or at least it's so up there, man. You're going to hear it, um, is by this band and by this artist. Um, Mokhtar uh, has this unique way of uh, hammering on and pulling off and just uh, chaotically, um, I don't think these even tapping, but it's definitely finger style guitar playing on the electric guitar. But the one, the album I bought was his acoustic album. Um, and that one was a little, it was low key. It was great to drive to, um, to as I'm going through these mountains. Um, this album, has the full band behind it with drums, the bass, the guitar and everything. Um, most of the songs are instrumental um, and the lyrics um, are in a language that I don't understand. I don't know what language they're singing in, but <laughs> I'm, I'm doing very poorly selling this band because I, um, I'm trying to convey it in a way that makes you want to check them out um, because uh, this is really bad, but they're really good. I'm just going to go ahead and play it. Uh, this song is called Tarhatazed, I think is how it's pronounced, but go ahead. Artists like that makes me wish um, festivals and concerts were still around because yeah. this would be the first one I'd see personally. I mean, this guy's played 
um, and it has been featured in plenty of publications, the New York Times, NPR, Rolling Stone. Um, and yeah, I, I, I hope you guys uh, liked a little taste of that. I cannot recommend that one enough. I, I like that a lot. I mean, the guitar playing definitely drew me in, but I think the tone mm-hmm. more so. I love that. It was... It had like obviously taste of um, stoner metal in there, but also like proto metal from like, you know, times like early, like, you know, early metal in the seventies. I definitely got like some vibes, like some early Judas Priest with that tone. I really like that. I'll have to go check them out. But yeah, that's the one I had. Um, And I think that's the episode. Um, Again, I don't know if we have a solid set plan for next week. (laughs) Yeah. Radiohead question mark? No. Um, but hey, we'll figure it out. We'll figure something out. Um, but again, I got a lot from this episode. Um, yeah, other than that, I think we're good. Until next time, what do we say, Michael? Good, good night, night, Detroit. Detroit.